my prayer that I may honor Jesus Christ in my words and encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, come and lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Church alive. That's the theme here. And I've been asked to speak on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, a great missional chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, and a great chapter uh, about alive churches. Um, so that's the theme today. Um, yeah, I'm Luke Heron. I'm the International Director of AIM Africa Inland Mission. I'm here with my wife, Jenny, my father-in-law, Will. He's the guy with the white beard there. Uh, and uh, with a special guest from AIM, uh, Mr. Tsapong Basupi. Would you stand up, Tsapong? Yeah, he's... It's a brother from uh, Botswana, and if you, I won't mind if you take out your phones and look up where Botswana is, that'll be okay, as long as you don't start answering your emails during the sermon. Um, he's, a, he's a member and a leader of Africa Inland Mission, and so he'll share toward the end of my sermon, I'll give him a, bit, a few minutes uh, to, uh, to tell a bit of his story, so look forward to that, even if you're bored with the rest of what I'm saying, which I trust you won't be, because it's the Word of God. Okay, AIM, we've been with AIM for 31 years uh, and we've been with this church for all that time. You've been supporting us and blessing us and praying for us. We really appreciate that. Um, the way that I know the years have gone by is I, every time I see Jonathan, I see, eh, years are passing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he, but he was here the first day we got here and he's still here, so it's always great to see him. Um, Africa Inland Mission. Um, we work in about 23 African countries. Uh, we really want to do three things. One is direct engagement, church planning, and disciple making among African unreached people groups. The second is to mobilize and train and send African missionaries. The third is to help to train African church leaders. Okay. My wife and I and our children worked in three different Muslim African countries. Now I'm the director. I li we live in Sacramento and do our work from there. So, um, on to the scripture, because that's really what's important today. Um, the, the focus in, in what's printed in your bulletin is verses 11 through 21, uh, though I'm actually going to read the whole chapter, and I'll just make a few comments as I go along. Um, I found it hard to divide the chapter because it's, a, it's an amazing chapter of Scripture. And actually, this chapter could be a whole month of sermons and even more, uh, so I will be going pretty fast. Um, again, well, Lord willing, get to some testimonies at the end. Um, so I'll start. Chapter 5, verse 1. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He has prepared us for this very thing as God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. 
We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What's Paul talking about here? Paul's talking about our earthly bodies, and he calls them tents or houses, okay? And then he's talking about our heavenly ones, heavenly bodies, uh, where we will live forever. And he's talking about the difficulties, the sufferings, the illnesses, the weaknesses of living in these earthly bodies, these earthly tents, and the difficulties of living in this world, Okay? And that's contrasted with our eternal home in heaven and in the eternal perfect bodies that one day we will have. Now, Paul also says it is much preferable to leave this earthly home, this earthly body, and be present in heaven with the Lord Jesus in our heavenly bodies. He says it's much preferable to be there than it is to be here, to leave this life and this body and be in heaven with the Lord. I, at age 62, a grandfather of three, I agree with him. Uh, It would be much better to be in heaven and to be eventually in my heavenly body. Now, many, even middle age, and it really depends what you define as middle age, but middle age and older folks will agree with me on that point. Um, But if you are young and healthy and strong... um, While you may agree in principle that it is better to be with Jesus in heaven than here in this world, I understand that your thoughts and desires right now are for this world, and be it your education, uh, whatever mission the Lord will give to you, whatever service the Lord is calling you to, uh, getting married, raising families, your work, all of those are good things. And if you're younger, that's the natural focus of your life. And you may say that, yes, I could die any day, so I need to be ready to go to heaven. But I know you don't really believe that right now. Um, so, whereas you get a little older and it starts to become reality for us. Um, so, if you're younger, save these verses for another day and let's focus on what comes next. Okay, notably, verse 9, he says... Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. There's a wonderful verse. Whether we're at home, meaning in this world, or whether, I'm sorry, I think he's probably saying heaven there, or whether we are away, meaning in this world, no matter where we are, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Okay, this is a good rule for our lives for our ministries, wherever we find ourselves to make it our aim to please God wherever we are, whether in this life or in the next one. And then Paul gives another reason for this in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now here's something else. Surely, 
Surely we want to please God because He is our Heavenly Father, because He loves us, because He sent His Son to die on the cross and rise again for us, because He's given us His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and because we love Him, we want to please Him. But keep this thought in the back of your minds, or better, in the front of your minds. All men and women will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Certainly, non-believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, this judgment is not about your salvation. Okay? It is not about your salvation, but it will confirm your faith and assign eternal rewards to you. For those who are not believers, they will stand ashamed and condemned before the Savior who died for them. This is a sobering thought as we think about our own lives and especially as we think about the lives of people around us. Now, Paul goes next to the very logical conclusion of this, and I begin the official text today, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We know the holiness and power of our God. We know His standards for our lives. And we know for the judgment to come for all men and women. We have a healthy respect and holy fear of Him and His judgment. And particularly fear falling away or willingly walking into sin. I think that's what it means to have a holy fear of God. We fear what would happen if we walk away from Him. We are not afraid of God. We are His children, but we have a holy respect and fear for Him and His judgment. We know the fear of the Lord, says Paul. What is our response? Are we afraid or paralyzed by this? Do we hide our talents in the ground like the unworthy servant of Matthew 25? No. But because we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We speak, we proclaim, we plead, we demonstrate, we live out, we share the truth of the gospel that people around us may believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul goes on. But what we, are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
I'm going to skip through this section really for the sake of time, but what Paul is speaking, he's speaking personally to the Corinthians here, and he's saying that even if people consider him to be insane, even if people him to be crazy for the gospel, he's okay with that. I think it was King Agrippa who said that to Paul, right? He said, Paul, your great learning is driving you mad. I am not mad, O king. Ah, But I wish you could be like me except for these chains. He said, Paul said, even if people consider that I'm crazy, for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing. The next verses speak powerfully to us. Verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. These are powerful verses. Verses that search our soul, verses that penetrate to the, to the, the, the division of joints and marrow, as Hebrew chapter 4 says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Paul says three powerful and pointed things here. The love of Christ controls us. One died for all, therefore all died. We are dead to our sin, we're dead to the devil, we're dead to the law, we're dead to judgment and hell. We are dead to ourselves, we are dead to the world, we are dead to everything that is not of Christ. The cross dealt with all of those things, and our lives are now new. Third thing, we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus. These are things to consider as you think about your lives and your futures. Does the love of Christ control us? Are we living a new life, dead to all things that are not of Christ? Are we living for Jesus rather than ourselves? If the answer to these questions is yes, then it changes the way that we think and the way that we act. We as a church should also think about these things corporately. Does the love of Christ control this church? Is the church dead to all things that are not of Christ? Does this, uh, does this church live for Jesus rather than itself? These are all good signs of a church alive, a church that's controlled by the love of Christ, a church that is dead to all things that are not of Christ, a church that lives for Jesus rather than itself. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
is an amazing chapter. How many things from this single chapter do Christians quote on a regular basis? We are a new creation right from this chapter. We walk by faith, not by sight, right from this chapter. Love of Christ controls us right from this chapter. The last verse is the most significant. I'll get to that. But here we are. The old has passed away. The new has come. What is Paul saying here? By saying we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. He's saying the flesh, the body, that doesn't matter. Physical appearance, health, wealth, status, everything that matters in this world, it doesn't really matter much to us anymore. The only thing that really matters is whether someone is in Christ or not. There's only two groups of people in the world in the end. People who were in Christ and people who are not in Christ. That's the only thing that really matters. We regard no one according to the flesh. All these things don't matter. What matters is a new creation. So, are you a new creation? Are your friends, neighbors, family members, new creations? Those are the questions that really matter to us. Not how much money do you have, not where do you live, not how old you are, not how healthy you are. What matters is if we are new creations and the people around us are new creations. If they are not, how do we think about them and interact with them? The answer is in the next verses, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How do we interact with those who are outside of Christ? The world, and believers in particular, have been reconciled to God through Christ, and our trespasses no longer counted against us. This is such wonderful news. The whole world and each one of us was formerly estranged from God, formerly isolated from God, formerly enemies of God, but we have been reconciled to God in Christ and brought into his kingdom and his family. And now the ministry and the message of reconciliation, Paul says that twice, ministry of reconciliation, message of reconciliation, they are ours. The message of reconciliation is clear enough. It is the gospel of Christ that we believed in, declaring that people repent of their sins, put their faith in Christ to receive forgiveness, sanctification, salvation, and more, together referred to as reconciliation with God. The ministry of reconciliation gives the idea of a calling, a way of life, something we do no matter where we are and whatever else we are doing. 
we engage in the ministry of reconciliation. Can you think this way? Whatever your life station, whatever job you have, wherever you live, that you dedicate yourselves to speaking about this reconciliation to the people you meet. More than that, you are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador doesn't walk around spouting his own opinions or live however he wants to live. An ambassador is charged with representing his government, be it his king or his president or his prime minister, and he lives in such a way that honors the one who sent him. As he represents his nation, he doesn't share his own thoughts or opinions, but the messages his king, president, or prime minister has given to him to speak. What a position of honor in this world, even in this world, to be an ambassador for one's country. What a position of honor to carry messages from the president of this country, even if you don't like the president of this country. What a position of honor to carry messages to other governments and other countries. How much more an honor to be God's ambassador, God's voice in this world, speaking and living out his message. And the essence of the message is this. On behalf of Christ who died and rose for you, be reconciled to God. And mind you, people in the church may need to hear this as much as people outside the church. Do you notice that? Paul says to the Corinthian church, I implore you, be reconciled to God. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people in the church. There may be people in this very church who need to hear this message just as much as anyone outside the church. Now, this is the work of missions, but it is also the work of local ministries and churches and outreaches in our no, to our own neighborhoods and families. It is for missionaries, it is for pastors, it is for gospel workers, students, teachers, laborers, farmers, professionals, children, men and women, for every single member of God's church. We have different gifts, personalities, situations, talents, and we will all do this differently, but it is for all of us, every single one of us. We have the ministry and the, reconcil- and the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. The love of Christ controls us. We are new creations. We have died with Christ, no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus Christ. Here is another demonstration of church alive. Yeah. This is not just for individuals. It is for the local body of Christ. A church alive embraces the ministry and the reconciliation and sorry, the ministry and the message of reconciliation and serves as ambassadors for Jesus to the wider community and to the world. Now, it's what we call missions, an activity of the church alive. Bring up Tsapang here. AIM missionary and leader to tell you about his ministry and message. Good morning. <coughs> about uh, 13 years ago, 
as a 21-year-old boy, I've given you my age. I came to the realization that there were many, many people that were dying without hearing the gospel. Revelation 5.9 really left a huge impact in my life. It says something to the effect that with his blood, he purchased for God people from every nation, every language, and every tongue. Every people, he purchased for them with his precious blood. The precious thing that Jesus had was his life, and he laid it down for all those people. And at that time, I was made aware that there were over 2 billion people that were living and dying without hearing the gospel for the very first time. And that got me to a place of wondering, then there should be something that I am doing. The scripture that was shared this morning, we have a ministry of reconciliation. How do I play a role in ensuring that these people are reconciled to God? And that has been my ministry for the past 10 years, reaching out to, to people that are unreached and working along, alongside churches and challenging churches to consider playing a role in ensuring that these people get an opportunity to hear that Christ died for them. So like he said, I serve in Southern Africa as the director of AIM work there, overseeing a team of about 100 missionaries working in that, in that region engaging some of those unreached people groups, ensuring that they get an opportunity to hear the gospel as well. And it's such a privilege and such an honor to be able to do that. And why do I do that? I do that compelled by his love, as Paul says in the scripture that we read this morning, compelled and believing that these people deserve to hear that Christ died for them. And the last thing I'll just say, in Acts chapter 26, we see Paul standing before King Agrippa. He just mentioned that. And Paul is being interrogated. He's making a case for his life. But he makes such a very powerful statement in verse 19 of Acts chapter 26. He says, Oh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly calling. This morning, God is calling us to be part of his ministry of reconciliation. What will be our response? Will you, response, will you respond in obedience and be part of that? Or will we be indifferent and choose to just be on the side? I think that is the biggest challenge this morning. My prayer is that the Lord will challenge all of us to raise up our hands and say, I want to be part of this and be obedient to his heavenly calling of making sure that people are reconciled to God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, he did a good job. You clapped for him. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. There's one more verse. Paul goes further with this beautiful summary of the gospel. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Once I was at a church with my father, um, and my father wasn't a Presbyterian, he was a Lutheran, so mm. I, I wasn't entirely sure of my father's grip on the gospel, and my father was asked to read the scripture that day, and he read this verse, 
And on the way home, I said, yeah, Dad, that's one of my favorite verses. And he said, I don't understand this verse. There's, with the, who, who are all these people? Him and him. And, and it's like, oh, wow, we had a wonderful opportunity just on the way home to talk about this very verse. The Lord gave me the opportunity to share with my father. Uh, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a remarkable verse, and it tells us how this reconciliation happened. What did God do? said, he made Jesus to be sin. He made Jesus to be sin. Jesus took our sin and suffered the judgment for our sin, dying on the cross. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just waxing poetic and quoting the Psalms. He really was forsaken of God because he became our sin and took the judgment for our sin on the cross. Why did God do this? Paul says so clearly, he did it for our sake. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And what is the result? We receive and become the righteousness of Christ. His perfectly lived life becomes ours. Our sin is gone, nailed to the cross in Christ. We are pure clean and righteous in Jesus Christ. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, members and friends of Sierra Press, it is our role, our duty, our privilege, our supreme honor our blessing to be his ambassadors and to take this message of reconciliation to the lost of our own communities and families and even to the nations of Africa. And and saying with Paul, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Church alive.
to your regularly scheduled Sunday morning service. I'm going to invite Vicki Foster to come join me up here. There was a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mike was like, with Luke preaching, and I'm here, you know, Greg, you're here. I think I might just take this Sunday off. I said, no, I'm not going to tell you why, but you can't leave. 